Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. Your host, Tara Kennedy Klein, is out to dispel that myth of the perfect child and encourage parents to let them out of the box. Each child is unique, and this show is just the place to stand up and shout out that fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. So right now, join the queen of accountability who advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. Here is your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, Parent Nation. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. I'm your hostess, Tara Kennedy-Klein, and we are coming into an amazing holiday season this year that I, it's just in, I'm in Pennsylvania, so it's very, um, very wintry. We're going to have a very white Christmas this year. <laughs> Farmer's Almanac has been telling us that it's going to be a very cold winter, and, you know, I kind of blow that information off because I'm one of those people that I don't even like to wake up to the news in the morning because I don't like to start my day that way. So people say, oh, my gosh, didn't you hear about the weather that was coming? And I say, no, but I looked out my window. <laughs> And that's pretty much how I'm going to gauge my day. So it's been a, it's been very white and very snowy and very icy, and um, I'm, I'm thankful for that at the holiday season because I'm in the toy business besides doing all of the parenting and, and the radio hosting and the TV showing and all of that stuff that I do. I'm also the owner of a toy distributorship who works with, which works with charitable organizations. So this time of year is what we term crazy toy season. And it's basically the time of year that I typically don't get to enjoy the holidays with my family at all because I'm in a big warehouse surrounded by tens of thousands of boxes of toys, shipping them to needy people all over the United States. And although that brings me a lot of joy, um, it also takes a lot of the fun out of the holidays for me. So I embrace these winter snow days, as we call them, because it forces me to stay home and to sit down and just, I, I mean, I know a lot of parents say, you can't say shut up to your kids. You know what? We say shut up. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a very open person. You know, I speak my mind. And so when I say sit down and shut up, I'm not saying it ugly. I'm saying take a break, take some time out and sit down and make some hot cocoa and watch some TV and enjoy the holidays with your family. And it's just so funny because today, just this morning, I wrote on Facebook, you know that you're living in the digital age when they call for 9 to 12 inches of snow and you're more worried about the cable and the Internet going out than the snow plows hitting the roads because you really don't care about the roads. But doggone it, don't make me not be able to watch my my Christmas movies and get on Facebook when I'm snowed in with my kids. But um, I think that it's so awesome that I have the guest that I have today because his entire message is about slowing down. And I think it's so appropriate this time of year when we're running around crazy nuts from Black Friday until Christmas Eve trying to find not the perfect gift anymore. It's a gift for someone so they don't feel left out. And, you know, I used to work in the retail industry, and I can remember working in Foot Locker and uh, having people come in and say, just give me something in a blue Nike, and I don't care what size it is because they're just going to bring it back anyway. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. We just don't take the time and the care 
that we used to um, when I was a kid. And so I am so thankful to have my guest, Carl Honoré, and uh, he is an award-winning journalist, and he's also a TED speaker, and I think it's amazing that his his TED talk um, the, has been viewed by over 800,000 people, which is uh, a testament to how people today really want to slow down. We just don't know how. So Carl is going to talk to us today about how to slow down and take it easy. Carl, are you with us? I am indeed. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Where are you from, Carl? Uh, well, I'm from snow country myself. I'm Canadian originally. I'm from Edmonton, Alberta. So I know a thing mm. or two about 10, 12 inches of snow and getting getting locked into your house and forced to slow down by the elements and Mother Nature. Uh, but I live in London, England these days, so we don't get so much slow snow. Wow. What time is it? Are you in London right now? I'm in London right now. It's the joys of the joys of modern technology. It's uh, early afternoon. It's just gone past 2 p.m. over here. Get out of Dodge. That's so cool. <laughs> I had no idea. I was calling, you know, talking to London. Well, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Extra bonus. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I am. That's one of my goals. One of my dream goals is to get to London. I've oh, been to glorious. Vienna, and I've been. I'm going to Spain in March, but I would love to go to London. So, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Well, it, it, as Samuel Johnson famously said, a man who is tired of London is tired of life. Greatest oh. city at the moment. I say. I love I love New York, but I think London is is in a class of its own at the moment. Wonderful place. Okay, so you just compared London to New York, and having never been to London, is it like New York? It's in some ways it is. I mean, it's a big, bustling, international, global metropolis. Uh, everybody comes here to get ahead, to climb over other people to the top. So there's a lot of pressure to go fast in both cities. Obviously, New York is a is a modern city, so it's got that the, the kind of concrete canyons and the lack of space and the skyscrapers. London's a bit more spread out, which I think in some ways allows us to go slower here if we choose to. But these are both engines of speed, these big cities, and and that's what cities do. They lay, operate a little bit like giant particle accelerators. They attract fast, ambitious people, but they then make them faster. Wow, that's amazing. So your your whole philosophy is probably like the half the people are going, wow, that would be awesome if I could ever find the time to do it. That's all, <laughs> what people say. And actually, here I am planting the flag of slow right in the lion's den. You know, I'm right. I'm not taking the slowdown message to an aromatherapy therapy cooperative in Southern California or a yoga retreat in New England. You know, I, I'm here in one of the biggest, fastest moving cities in the world, singing the praises of slowness. And actually, you know, my, my books have been out for a while now. And when I first hit the shelves and hit the bookstores, it, the first reaction was that it was kind of, oh yeah, great. I mean, I love the idea of slowing down, but you know, forget it. That's just not going right. to happen. Now, now, <laughs> now the reaction is very different because I think people are starting to sink in slowly uh, but surely that this virus of hurry has infected every corner of our lives and is taking a tremendous and appalling toll on everything from our health and our diet to our relationships and communities to the quality of our work, to the economy. Look what happened in the financial markets with the, the global meltdown after 2008. A lot of that comes down to the fact that money got too fast, right? And then, of course, the toll, the toll that this turbocharged, do everything now, consume everything faster approach takes on the environment. So I think you put all that together, and it's a kind of perfect storm, which has brought us to this state where more and more people are saying, you know what, this is nuts. Uh, sometimes, okay, I'm not a fundamentalist or an extremist of 
slowness. I love speed. I live in London. I love fast. But all I'm saying, and it's very simple, it's really just common sense, is that faster isn't always better. You know, sometimes sometimes slower is better. It's about doing things at the right speed. Mm, you know, my dad has been telling me since I was a little girl, and it's my favorite phrase to use today, do you want it done fast or do you want it done right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I still say that in my warehouse today. I mean, I can't tell you over the years, I've been running a warehouse that is that is seasonal, extremely seasonal for about 15 years now. And I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made that have cost me tens of thousands of dollars, Carl, mm-hmm. serious mistakes, because I just didn't slow down and take the time to double check myself. Get the small stuff right. Right? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then this morning I was just talking to my girlfriend and she said, my son, uh, you know, he had plenty of time to get ready for school this morning. And yet when he needed to walk out the door, that's when he decided to run around like a chicken with his head cut off. Mm-hmm. For what? For what? She said, what are you looking for? And he said, I don't know. And yeah. I was like, you know what? That's, I experience that every day in my, uh, I have ADD. And I really think that that's one of my ADD traits is I always have this fear that I'm forgetting something important. Yeah. I think, oh, I, think, I, think, I think all of us have that fear nowadays. That's part of what's gnawing at us as a culture. We live, the whole world now has become a, a buffet or a smorgasbord of things to do and experience and consume. And the natural human instinct is to want to have it all, right? So what, exactly. what happens? We end up hurrying it all because that's the same. That's what having it all leads to. And we end up chasing our tails and always with this unnerving sense that we're missing out, right? And that the only way to avoid missing out is to go faster and faster and faster and do more and more with less and less time. But ultimately that just ends up putting quantity before quality and it leads to all kinds of problems like the ones I was just enumerating a moment ago and the kinds of things you just put your finger on there, the mistakes we make in our everyday lives, the the things that we get wrong because we rush. We don't stop to look at the, the fine grain to get the details right. We just charge on through, you know, fools rush in, right? And these are, these are ancient wisdoms, <laughs> you know, people talked about haste, <laughs> haste makes waste. You know, that's not a 21st century aphorism. That goes way, way back. So human beings have been going for the quick fix since the beginning of time. Uh, and in a lot of ways, we're hardwired for it. Of course, the world we live in now encourages that. And that's part of the problem, I think, that we're just in this quick fix mode constantly in every aspect of our life. Oh, yeah. I, being from Pennsylvania, um, I'm from Pennsylvania Dutch country. And there's everywhere you go in these little stores, you'll see these hand-painted signs of old Dutch sayings. And the one that my pappy always had in his house, right by his door, it said, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. <laughs> and it's just so true. And, you know, it, it just makes you think, um, you know, what is it that I'm – what is it that I'm rushing for? And how much am I missing on the way? You know, it's those little things that when we do get snowed into our house, you finally take the time to look out your window and see how beautiful everything is around you for the first time. You know, it's like, why yeah. have I not seen this all this time? Well, because I've been rushing in and out the door, rushing up and down the driveway, rushing, you know, never stopping and taking time to actually just look out the windows and appreciate everything that's going on around me. And it's crazy because I know that um, we don't always have a lot of time to do holiday shopping. And that's one of the big things that I want to talk to you about today. 
we don't always have a lot of time to do the holiday shopping and um, to really sit down and make a Christmas card list. Like, who sends out Christmas cards anymore when you have Facebook and Snapfish and all those other things that you can just send a quick picture over through email? And um, we don't take the time to sit down and do those things that we consider old-fashioned. But as parents, we're always saying, oh, my gosh, that our parents' generation did it so much better you know, I can't wait to talk to you about the fact that they also did it so much slower and, yeah. and, and recognize the little details. So when we come back from this break, I want to get into how we can slow down for the holidays and really appreciate it a lot more. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. It's not just time for a change, is it? It's much bigger than that. Can you feel it? It's time for a transformation. Will you now imagine that you can and will transform your life? Will you suspend your disbelief and imagine that all things are not just possible, but probable? Imagine that you will meet guides, mentors, and trusted friends who believe in you. Hold your hand as they point the way and teach you to trust your own wisdom. The first of these friends is spiritual girlfriend, Gail Carruthers. Gail will show you how to believe. Believe your perfect divine wisdom will reveal your worthiness. Believe that knowing your power will open your boundless courage. Courage to live consciously, fearlessly, and joyfully. And then know, know all these things are already here and waiting for you to bring them into your divine life. She is here to help you discover, believe, and know. So join Gail, your spiritual girlfriend, every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am talking today with Carl Honore. Carl, am I pronouncing that correctly? You are indeed. Yeah, you got it in the first go. Bravo. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Thank <happen>. you. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, I like to practice my French every once in a while. <laughs> well, you're obviously a woman of tremendous erudition and worldliness. <laughs> 
That's so funny. So before the break, we were talking about um, how how rushed we are today as a society. And, you know, being a parent advocate and, and working with special needs families a lot, I see so many parents talking and I hear so many parents talking about the stress that their children experience and the anxiety that their children experience. And it, it just it shocks me so much because I can just look at a family and say, do you not see where this is coming from? Like you came to this appointment 10 minutes late, running through the door. You know, you look like you could drop over and pass out any second. You haven't eaten by your own admission all day long. You know, all of these things that you are exemplifying for your kids and you wonder why your children have anxiety attacks when they're nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the holidays, it becomes tenfold because we're trying to schedule all of the parties and the events and the family gatherings that we have to go to. And, you know, we need to see five different people on one day and we need to have just the right present for every single person. And, you know, there's there's so much hustle and bustle and expectation at this time of year. It's no wonder people aren't enjoying the holidays the way they used to. Quite. I, I think, I mean, the, the key word in there is expectation. I think that nowadays we live in a, a culture of soaring expectations where we expect everything to be picture perfect. You know, we expect to have a perfect body, a perfect home, a perfect child to round out the portrait of a perfect vacation and, and of course, a perfect holiday season. And that just sets the bar so absurdly and, and damagingly high that, that no one reaches it. And even if people get even close to it, it's actually the effort that goes into it that ends up just polluting everything we do. So we find ourselves turning every moment of the day, especially in the holiday season, but this is something, as you say, it goes all the way around the calendar. Every moment of the day becomes a race against the clock or a dash to a finish line that we never, ever seem to reach. And a, a big part of it is that we just have, our expectations have gone up through and beyond the stratosphere so that we're trying to do way too much when in fact we would be a lot happier, a lot healthier, and our children would thrive a lot more if we dialed down the pressure and, and, and did fewer things and allowed things to happen rather than always jumping in and trying to force them to happen just the way we think they should or the way they seem to on, on, on TV or the Internet or watching, you know, uh, golden ads and that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's about adjusting expectations so that, yes, of course, you, you want to have a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful holiday season, and you want to have a, a you know, an, an exciting, lively, rewarding family life. But the way to do that is not to turn every moment of the day into a race to perfection. And, you know, Norman Rockwell just totally screwed it up for all of us. But, <laughs> but, but aside from that, you know, here's what, I'm, here's what really uh, stuck out for me and what you said. I love everything that you said. And if I were the only one lowering my expectations, how disappointed would everyone be in me? Well, it's, I, I guess you have to rephrase it, really. It's, it's not so much lowering your expectations. It's, how, it's, lowering, it's changing the way you're going to get to where you want to get. And, and I, love, I love the name of your program, Stop Raising Einstein, because I think in a lot of ways that hits the nail on the head, that nowadays we feel that we've got to give our children the best of everything and at the same time make them the best at everything. Uh, we push, polish, and protect them with superhuman zeal. And, and the, the upshot is that parenting has become a cross between a competitive sport and product development. And this ultimately backfires on everyone. The way to raise an Einstein is not 
I mean, paradoxically, the way to raise an Einstein is, is to stop raising an Einstein. In, in, and what do I mean by that? I mean that every child has the capacity and the talent and the, and, the, and the magic within them to be their own kind of Einstein. And the way they're going to realize that is not by our project managing them to within an inch of their lives, but by backing off and letting things happen. Of course, children need to strive, struggle, they need to be pushed, they need pressure, they need structure, they need all that stuff, but they need it in the right dosage. And I guess when I'm talking about um, expectations and adjusting them, I'm saying, yes, try, you know, create a, 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 an atmosphere where your child can be the best that he or she can be, but don't turn it into product development and project management. There needs to be a kind of balance there between stepping in when you need to and backing off when, when a child just needs to, to be instead of do. This is part of the problem nowadays. You know, we're, we're so obsessed with doing things that we, it's even woven into our vernacular. We talk about dead time and downtime and empty time and all this stuff. <laughs> and so every second has to be filled with something that goes on a resume. But actually, it's a lot of the stuff that you can't put on a resume that's most, most valuable for children's growth and development. I mean, just one example, you're, you know, you're walking down the street with your five-year-old daughter and she spots a ladybug in a rose bush and, and she can stop there for 20 minutes, right? She'll give the ladybug a name. She'll watch it scuttling up and down the rose petals. She'll weave a whole narrative around that ladybug. And in that moment of real tactile engagement with the world around her, she's unleashed her imagination. And science is telling us that in that moment, she is building her brain. You know, her brain is on fire, right? She's building her brain in ways that a thousand baby Einstein DVDs and a thousand hours of Kumon tutoring will never, ever come close to touching. The problem is that we see that ladybug moment and we think, hmm, that kind of looks like a waste of time, right? You yeah, I don't have time for this. Capital, we got to go. <laughs> uh, you can't you put a ladybug moment on an Ivy League application. And anyway, we're late. For, so we grab her, pull her away from the ladybug and say, hurry up. We're, we're late for ballet. And I think it's, I think it's about remembering the, 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 the benefit, the magic, and the power of those ladybug moments that are hard to schedule. They just happen. And they happen when we back off and just let children find their way. And that's where a lot of that magic of child development occurs, when parents get out of the way. Exactly. You know, it's so funny to me because if you watch the um, the biographies and the histories and all of the shows about these, the genius inventors from way before our time, the most brilliant minds of the past, and we say, you know, oh, because of how far we've come, we can never make those quantum, those type of quantum leaps again. And if you watch those movies, what you'll see is people who had a lot of time to think. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this is what we're terrified of, giving people just that freedom to let their, you know, that free-range childhood to let their minds and their bodies roam. We want to corral them. We want to photograph and film them and benchmark them and assess them and evaluate them and get everything down on a, on a, on a resume. And actually, we end up squeezing out the really rich stuff. I mean, you look at, you asked uh, uh, earlier on about how do you, if you want to be the first parent to, to lower expectations or change expectations or step off this crazy, busy merry-go-round, one way to gain the confidence to do that is to look at the kind of people you're describing there, the Einsteins, the great people, the people who've done extraordinary things in the world, and have a look at their biographies. You know, th these are not the kind of, generally speaking, these are not the kind of people who were doing 25 extracurricular activities and never went outside and were never allowed to get bored. You know, they, they had a lot of time. I mean, Einstein famously, even in, in adulthood, used to sit for hours in his office in Yale, gazing out the window. The two guys who set up Google are former Montessori kids, you know, Zuckerberg, uh, Gates. These guys are dropouts from Harvard, 
Uh, I mean, this idea that somehow there's one perfect path, this is the tyranny of our culture of perfection, this idea that it's all or nothing, modern parenting. You know, you either get your child on track A, track one, or track two, right? You're on track one is where everybody feels they have to be. So your child's in Mensa, age nine, Ivy League at 17, and then, I don't know, front cover of Time magazine at 25, or track two, you know, it's a hoodie, heroin addiction, and homelessness, right? Which is ridiculous. There are a million tracks, but I think when the winds of panic start to blow in our bedrooms at night or around the kitchen table, we can only see one or the other. And we get, as parents, worked up into this hysterical state where we believe that if we put one foot wrong, we get one little tiny thing wrong, it's going to leave an indelible mark forever on our children. And I think that's often what leads to this, whatever you call it, hyper-parenting or helicopter parenting, this inability just to back off and the feeling that you have to be there at every step, you know, guiding, pushing, steering, pressurizing. And I think if we could get away from that and remember that the people who really change the world, who really come up with the extraordinary ideas, the people who really find, are the people who find themselves. They're the children, as children who had time to, to get bored. You know, we're all so terrified of boredom nowadays. It's the great cardinal sin of the 21st century. For most of human history, when a child came up to a parent and said, I'm bored, it was a child's fault or problem, right? You just said, your mom would say, okay, go outside and play, or, you know, I'll call you back for dinner. Now a child comes to a parent and says, I'm bored, and it's the parent who feels guilty. <gasps> My child is bored. What, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Where's the iPad? I need to entertain them. <laughs> Maybe we need another extracurricular activity in the schedule, you know, when in mm-hmm. fact, actually, the thing to do would just be to say, well, deal with it. You know, boredom, that feeling of not sure what you're going to do next, that restlessness, that's where some of the most fertile, imaginative, creative thinking happens. And if we back off, let children go there, that's when we're going to create the kind of citizens and children and adults that we can all be proud of in the future. Exactly. Exactly. I tell my kids all the time when they come to me, and my youngest son has Asperger's syndrome, but he also has a 145 IQ. And so when he comes to me and says, I'm bored, I'm like, that is awesome because your brain works so hard when you're bored. You should Mm -hmm. go sit in your room and be bored until you find something to do. Exactly. And he'll look at me like I'm blowing spit bubbles, but it's the truth. And, you know, another thing that you said that was really intense to me was um, that we're afraid as parents, if our child makes a mistake, it's going to leave an indelible mark on them. And, you know, that's one of the things that I wrote about, too, was if if the indelible mark that that leaves is the lesson that was learned from the mistake, then kudos for you. Awesome job. Yeah. Because you, we don't, we've gotten into this habit of looking at mistakes as failures or faults or cracks in our parenting. And the fact of the matter is people have been making mistakes since there were people, but they learned from them. And that's the one thing that this generation has given up is the learning from our mistakes, the willingness to learn from them. So, you know. Yeah, we're absolutely terrified of putting a foot wrong. And, and you hear this now, especially in high-achieving schools, we hear it all the way up and down the school uh, food chain, that cho- children don't want to take intellectual risks. They just want to be told what they need to yeah, reproduce yeah. the exam to get the highest mark and then move on. And that completely is inimical to the spirit of learning. They're just ticking boxes, ticking boxes yeah. instead of thinking outside them. And yeah, I think a big, yeah. a big part of turning around this hyper-parenting juggernaut, if you like, is, is to relearn the lost art of making mistakes uh, and learning from them. And that's Absolutely. A, I love do, that. that we can talk that about that when we come back from this break, if that's okay, Carl. Mm-hmm. 
Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. It's not just time for a change, is it? It's much bigger than that. Can you feel it? It's time for a transformation. Will you now imagine that you can and will transform your life? Will you suspend your disbelief and imagine that all things are not just possible, but probable? Imagine that you will meet guides, mentors, and trusted friends who believe in you, hold your hand as they point the way, and teach you to trust your own wisdom. The first of these friends is spiritual girlfriend, Gail Carruthers. Gail will show you how to believe. Believe your perfect divine wisdom will reveal your worthiness. Believe that knowing your power will open your boundless courage. Courage to live consciously, fearlessly, and joyfully. And then know, know all these things are already here and waiting for you to bring them into your divine life. She is here to help you discover, believe, and know. So join Gail, your spiritual girlfriend, every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Welcome back to the show. We are being joined today by Carl Honoré, who is um, he's an award-winning journalist and a he is the author of Under Pressure, and um, he is the leader of the slow parenting movement. I was trying to find the words to say that, Carl. I wasn't sure exactly how to how to put that into words, but you've been doing this this slow thing for a long time. Um, what are some things that you've found that have really helped people who say to you, I don't know what day and age you're living in, but uh, I couldn't slow down if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Well, I find that the most compelling way to turn people around when they put that to you is, is to give them examples of other people who are doing it. Because it's one thing to go into a business or a family or a neighborhood or an organization and say, you know, slowing down will be good for you because in the world that we live in, uh, that's just going to bounce off the, the wall and you're going to be shown the door and, and ushered out because people, because the taboo against slowness is so deep in our culture. Slow, the dirty word, it's a four letter word. It's a byword for lazy, 
torpid, unproductive, stupid even, right? Nobody wants yes. to be slow in that sense. So right away you're up against uh, a kind of a linguistic barrier with the word itself. But I, I find it it's one thing to turn up and say, okay, well, look, it would be good to slow down. It, it, you have to give people real-world examples of, of those who are slowing down. It's not enough to say that, uh, yes, uh, you know, yoga teachers are, are very happy and healthy. You know, you've got to say to them, okay, look, people in the biggest companies in the world, the biggest companies in the United States, whether it's uh, Google or uh, Deloitte and Touche or General Mills are, are running meditation programs. You know, these are companies that work in some of the fastest moving, most cutthroat sectors of the global economy. And what are they telling their staff? They're saying it's, it's okay to slow down. In fact, it would be good for you to slow down. Take half an hour and go sit and do nothing in a room for half an hour. Uh, that's profoundly countercultural. But to hear that a big successful company is doing it is enough to start people thinking and to get that door to start opening. Another example that I like very much is from Volkswagen, the big you know, German company, uh, car company in, in Germany a little while ago. They tweaked the, the servers on their internet uh, portal so that the BlackBerry servers could no longer send out email to staff outside working hours. And you think, wow, wow, exactly. That's what everybody says. They say, wow, you know, how does that work? Uh, well, it works. It, you know, you think, well, glo- you know, that's a big international car company with a global supply chain. Of course, they need to be able to be reachable 24-7, but not everybody needs to be reachable 24-7 because a lot of those emails that people in Volkswagen, and let's face it, it's the same for all of us in most of our companies and organizations, those emails that we're pouring over at the dinner table or looking at in bed the night before we go back, and get, most of those are not that important and they're not that urgent. And actually by waiting till the next day, a lot of them just go up and smoke anyway and are overtaken by events. And so Volkswagen has discovered that actually people are a lot happier, a lot healthier if they're able to switch off their Blackberries outside work and then come in recharged, refreshed, and ready to go the next day. So to hear those big companies uh, or, or other examples, I'll just give you one connected with children. You know, we, we often hear nowadays that people say, well, okay, I'd love my children to slow down. I think that sounds great, but they can't, right? Because if they take their foot off the accelerator pedal for two seconds, they will be steamrollered into the ground by a stampeding herd of tiger moms, right? <laughs> From the Chinese world. But the next time as a parent, you hear that little voice in the back of your mind, I want you to remember this. And that is that last year in August, 2012, the prime minister of Singapore stood up on the national day of Singapore, Singapore, the spiritual home of the tiger mom. And he said to the parents of that nation, he said, we've lost our way. We've lost our compass. We have lost our minds. We are driving our children so hard and so fast that we're driving them into the ground. Kids need to do less homework. They need to play. They need to learn through play. Essentially what he was saying is they need to slow down. And that's, that's the Prime Minister of Singapore. That is where the whole Tiger Mom thing you know, started <laughs> in some ways. So yep. I think when you take these examples and you hear them, you think, well, hang on. We're all rushing around trying to catch up to these people. And these people are saying all this rushing around doesn't make sense. So I, I think it's very important and powerful to share examples, real world examples. because that, That's how you're going to pull the levers that make people realize that they can actually change, that, that we, get, we get ourselves into this state where we believe there's no hope, we cannot slow down at all, but actually you, start to, you stop for a moment, you reflect, you look at your life, how you're using time. The average American is watching four hours of TV a day and is it another two on the internet? I mean, that's a lot of time. And then everybody's turning around saying, oh, you know, I've got no time. And you think, well, you've got to think about how you're using your time. Exactly. Um, you know, the statistics that you gave about TV are even more astounding when you hear the statistics about how much time parents and children spend in face-to-face conversation with one another, which exactly. is less than seven minutes a day on average. Yeah, exactly. And every scrap of research 
and we know it in the fiber of our, our bodies and the, and the marrow of our bones that the richest learning and the strongest bonding goes on when we sit with the gadgets turned off and we look into each other's eyes and we talk and we talk to our kids, we, we cuddle them, we play and, and, and we are just there present, the two of us or the three of us, whoever in the moment, that is where all of the kind of brain building and uh, health, all that stuff comes from those simple, slow, free moments that are there for all of us if we would just clear space for them and make time for them and slow down for them because essentially you have to slow down to do that. That's so true. You know, it's funny. We were listening to, um, I forget what we were doing the other day, um, but the four of us were stuck in the house because of the snow. Thank goodness, you know, for the ice. We were stuck in the house. Oh, I know what it was. My son, my old, my youngest son has trouble doing work in class. He falls behind because he's slow. <laughs> he's, he's, he's brilliant, but his pace is slower. So, he often comes home with pages and pages and pages of homework, which wouldn't be homework for anybody else except it was classwork that he didn't do that he must complete. And out of the three pages in each of four curriculum courses of homework that he had, the one assignment that we had to say, I'm sorry, we don't have time for this, is he was supposed to go outside and make a snowman and take a picture of it. And do you know that that was the one thing that as a family we looked at each other and said, I'm sorry, buddy, but you have to finish this study guide and that study guide and this essay and that math sheet. We don't have time to go outside and make a snowman for extra credit. I'm sorry. And then I looked at my husband and I'm like, you know what? Let's pick something else. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go make that darn snowman yeah. because – yeah, oh, gosh, you know, really, of all the things, we're going to take away play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing is play. That is the, the building block of all of all human development, all child development is free play. And, and we're not talking about the kind of play where adults are in the way, monitoring, telling children how to play better and re- re- resolving disputes. It's when they back off and let it let it happen. And and, and there's, there's some research came out recently showing that they were looking at uh, – what different kinds of playground apparatus, how they affect how children play in American playgrounds. But along the way, just as they were doing this study, they discovered something else, which is that children who go to a playground with their parents and the parents are hovering nearby. You know, we've all seen parents like that. We've probably even been at that position ourselves. We're hovering near our child. We're a little bit worried. We're saying, you sure you want to climb that? Or, well, why don't you go down the slide? Or look at that little girl over there. Maybe she'd like to play. Or that little boy... Those children are 50% less likely to involve, get involved in, 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 in any kind of physical activity. You know, they do much less activity because, again, the parents, very well-meaning, starts from a noble and natural instinct to do the best for our kids, but we get in the way, right? We're just too present in the wrong sorts of ways, and I think that's another example of how, how, how it backfires on us. But you just, can I just mention a school thing that I came across recently in Florida, which I like very much. It was this, a Florida teacher who every year has a kindergarten class that come in. And the first thing she does is she marches them down to the gymnasium, lines them up on one wall and says, okay, class, I want you to race to the other side of the gym, the other wall. On your marks, get set, go. All the kids run as fast as they can. They get to the other side. And she says to them, children, now, did you all um, reach the wall at the same time? And they look around and say, no, no, of course not. You know, that little boy there got here first. And the girl with the pigtails turned out to be very fast. She got... And then she says, did you all run in the same style? Did you all look the same running? And they'll say, no, no, we all look different. And then she said, last question, did you all reach the wall in the end? And they say, yeah, we did. And she says to them every year, she says, and that children is kindergarten, you know, and in a way 
you know, that, that is life. It's, mm-hmm. it's certainly every school year that every child has their own pace, their own ability, their own strengths and weaknesses. And in the space of that year, if you honor those differences in metronome and pace and tempo, every child will get there in the end. That is such a brilliant example. And being a very visual person, something else came into my head. And that was, what if you took that one step further and said to the children, now I want you to all walk as slowly as you possibly can mm-hmm. back to this wall and ima- and envision the level of laughter, communication, connection, and conversation that would happen in just, you know, in the first scenario, they were all trying to beat one another. They were all competing against each other. They were all winded in the end. And, you know, this person won and this person lost. But if they would just stop and walk, how different would that picture play out? Yeah, that's a nice, that puts a nice twist on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, it's just so interesting to me how, you know, when, because I'm a very visual person, I guess you could pick that up now. (laughs) (laughs) Pictures come into my head all the time. And I just, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the parenting path that I picture us all on. We've become so accustomed to wanting to push other people off the path if they get too close to us or, you know, if they're competing with us or if we feel that they're in competition. We've gotten so focused on pushing other people off the path so that we can be the only one when yeah. if we actually linked arms and walked together, how much more rich would that experience be? Immensely, immensely. And I think that's such a important thing to remember for for schooling and I think you're starting to see school systems begin to move very we're talking about turning around a super tanker here but trying to move away from this winner takes all I'm in this for myself cutthroat competition ethos to something a bit more collaborative where kids work together more which is going to reflect much more what they do in the normal workplace nowadays and and also coming back to what we touched on earlier about allowing people to make mistakes and to learn from them rather than punishing and when you bring that to the table, that collaborative spirit and the open-mindedness that comes with making, putting a foot wrong and then learning from it and then moving on and moving the foot in a different direction together, that, I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about, uh, you know, a, a kind of revolution, I think, in, in, in schooling and, and one that's been a long time coming. Oh, I agree. I think we absolutely need to slow down in schools and go back to the way things used to be. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it's going to take a slow revolution to do that, but I'm willing to give it a try because I'm just so tired of not having any time with my kids anymore because, you know, school takes priority over everything. When we come back from this next break, Carl, I want to talk to you more about some steps that we can take starting today to slow down and maybe enjoy this holiday season a little bit more and also how we can connect with you. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. The Woohoo! 
Radio Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are finishing up with an awesome uh, show with my guest today, Carl Honoré. And Carl, before we get into our last conversation, I really want to make sure that the listeners have an opportunity to connect with you um, right. and see all the great stuff that you have out there in your book and your TED Talk and all that. So where can we reach you? Well, the best place is to go to my website, which is just www.carlhonoré.com, H-O-N-O-R-E, or also in praiseofslow.com. But even if you just Google slow and Carl with a C, You'll, you'll get there as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm easily found, and there's a, the website has loads of um, audio and video clips and, and links to other people who are doing all kinds of different slow things and everything from the workplace to families to uh, you know, design, uh, sex, you name it. Um, it. It's all there. So it's a good place, uh, a good starting point for people who are looking to reconnect with their inner tortoise. Mm, I love it. I'm really interested in everything that you just mentioned there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to slow down my business. I want to slow down my life. I want to slow down everything. I just want to, be, I just want to take the next two months to just start to learn how to breathe again. Funny how that that is often a, a good starting point. We breathe so fast, sh- so shallowly, but actually we all have at our fingertips within our own bodies the, a very easy and instant form of slowing down, which is breathing. You know, if you take a few deep breaths, you get yourself into that 
worked up state, you're waiting, you know, you're, you're jabbing the closed door button on the elevator or you're charging through a red light. Just take a few deep breaths and, and you reoxygenate the body and you sort of stabilize the heart rate and immediately you get a kind of slow payoff, if you like. So that's, that's a, a, an instant and obvious slowdown tip for everyone to use. I've been accused of sighing as if I were bored or frustrated when actually what I'm doing is just deep breathing. It's become such an abnormality in our society that people misunderstand. Yeah, well, you can be accused of much worse than being bored for heavy breathing in the workplace, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) You want to choose your moments and your places wisely for for heavy breathing. (laughs) Well, when you run the place, you know, <laughs> even that, I can get you in trouble too, though. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Especially when I'm good, when I'm in the warehouse and I'm trying to like run numbers and, and all kinds of information in my head and I can feel myself getting myself confused. I'll stop and I'll just like breathe really, really deeply. Perfect. And, um, I, I learned some really great breathing techniques when I was in a, a, a speaking course where, you know, to breathe into the count of six and to hear yourself say, I love you. And I know that sounds really shishi foo foo, but <laughs> sometimes in those moments you really need to hear someone say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know to just do that, and people have looked at me and been like, "What's your problem?" And I'm like, "Well, a minute ago my problem was all of you, but right now I'm feeling pretty good, so maybe you don't want to talk so badly about what I'm doing." <laughs> so tell us, can you give us like just in these next what 12 minutes that we have in the show? Can you give us some actionable tips or tools that we could use to slow things down over the holidays and maybe appreciate this time and this season a little more? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the first tip for, for everyone is to do less, you know, to downsize your calendar. We are chronically trying to do too many things with too little time, and that gets even worse around the Christmas season. So I think it's important just to take a few deep breaths. And before you plunge into the season, or, or you probably we're already you know into it now, but it's, it's to look at all the things you have you want to do or you have to do, and put them in order of importance, priority from most important to least important, and start cutting from the bottom. You'd be surprised how easy it is to do that. It sounds it sounds terrifying, and I know that when I did it myself, I thought, how can I cut anything? I actually need more time to do more things. But when you put it down in black and white on a piece of paper, you realize that often you're doing stuff just out of habit or because you feel obliged to, but you could let it go. And I think that's a very important step is to let the stuff that's less important go and be able to focus your time, attention, and energy on the things that really matter to you that you'll be thinking about five years from now rather than forgetting five minutes from now. So that's the first suggestion. Well, let me ask you you something about that, Carl, because being a woman (laughs) and and being raised to be a people pleaser, (laughs) I find it excruciating, not difficult, not, not even like kind of hard, excruciating to say no to the people that, that are depending on me. Yeah. No, it's very hard. But people talk about the power of slow and the flip side of that is the power of no. And it's a very hard thing to do, but it, it has to be done because you simply, if you end up saying yes to everything, you will never slow down. I mean, that's just a fact, a hard cold fact of life. I, I know that it's excruciating, perhaps when in the social sphere, especially so for women. But I think that one way around that is not to declare unilateral slowness and just you get an invitation to a drinks party around the corner and you just say no, 
but if you say no, there are different ways to say no. You know, you can couch it in something bigger. You can say, look, this year we've decided as a family to have a slow Christmas, you know, to, 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 to pare back and to really have the time for the things, for some things and just let other things go. Or, or you know, so you explain to the people why you aren't going to come to their drinks event because you've got three other drinks events the same day or the same week or whatever it is. And, and then maybe you, to that person, you suggest doing something in January or February. You know, you, I think just a straight no, that's unco- not only uncomfortable, but can actually come across as rude. I think you need to mm-hmm. embed it in something bigger and, and explain the bigger picture. Because you know what? The person who has asked you, who has invited you and is receiving the no, is probably thinking exactly the same thing you are, which is, I quite like to say no, too, you know, to some things. And it just... It allows people, gives other people permission to do the same thing. And, you know, within a, a, within a social circle, you can, I've heard people start, one person says no, and it turns out that you're able to, you know, within a big group of people, five events have been organized, you're able to downsize that to three, right? So everybody goes to three events, sees everybody, nobody's left out. And, you know, just through a little bit of streamlining, I think sometimes that can work within a group, a social group or a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and with with parents, a, a lot of it comes down to things that the schools need, or the clubs need, or the organizations need. And the first thing that they tend to ask for is our time. Yeah. And what we forget is there are a lot more gifts that we can give besides our time. We can give talent and treasure too. So, for as a woman to be able to say, I would love to be able to attend. Unfortunately, I have a, a, so many other obligations scheduled already that I can't be there. However, However if there's something I that I can contribute. Exactly. That would help out. And, and ask. Sometimes, sometimes you may not know yourself what that other thing is, but simply saying, I'm afraid I can't, is the way you phrased it there, but then asking the question, is there something else I can do? That just creates a, a warmth around the, the exchange, I think, that can, can be lost if it just becomes a simple no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, screw you. I'm not coming. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> even, even though sometimes it's quite tempting just to deliver a simple no. <laughs> exactly. I, I, the general rule recommend against it. Um, <laughs> But other other sort of general thoughts for slowing down. I I have a another trick. It's a little bit like the breathing trick, but it's it, I think of it as uh, what I call it the speed audit, which is that as you're going through the day, doing whatever it is you're doing, every once in a while, just stop and ask yourself, Am I doing this at the right speed? You know, if you're going faster, if you're going at the right speed, go back to whatever it was you're doing and carry on. But if you're going too fast, and often you find that you are, just out of habit or inertia or because other people's hurry has infected you. Then take a few of those deep breaths and go back to doing whatever it was, you know, cooking, cleaning, wrapping presents, whatever it is, just a little bit more slowly. And I think just that those moments of pausing and checking your speedometer can be very, very helpful as a lever as well for, for finding that slower gear. I love that. I love that. Taking time to smell the roses. Yeah. And mm. I think also it's, it's, and this may sound slightly paradoxical because in a lot of ways I've been railing against the tyranny of schedules and timetables and all that stuff. But I think in some ways it's very important to schedule unscheduled time or to build slow rituals into your, 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 your planner, into your schedule and say, these are sacred moments. So whether it's the family meal in the evening or the half an hour after you come back from work in the, in, in, at the end of the day, uh, you just some, slow ritual that you put in there. It could be a meal, it could be knitting, it could be yoga, it could be reading poetry or pottery or whatever works for you in a way that slows you down. I think it's so crucial to have something like that in your daily routine and to make it sacrosanct. You know, don't let it get blown away by all the slings and arrows of, uh, you know, daily obligations that come at you from every angle. Try and make sure that it's always there. And I think that's a very useful thing for keeping that balance as well. It works as a break 
on us and it almost vaccinates you against the virus of hurry in the rest of your day. It's so true. I, that's one thing that my husband told me a long time ago. He said, you schedule everything. Everything, everything that you have is in your phone, in your planner, in your phone. Why would you not schedule 30 minutes a day for you? Yeah. Put it in there. Just do yeah. it. You know. And that's when I started reading. And I found that two things work really well for me. When I'm starting to get frustrated with my family, I'll walk away and pick up a book sit down and pick up a book. Mm -hmm. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't carry on. I don't rush. I go away and I pick up a book. And it started a habit that my kids will do the same thing. And the other thing is I put myself in timeout. If I mm -hmm. notice myself getting too escalated or too hurried, I will put myself in timeout. And I feel, you know, if it's supposed to work for my kids, it's got to work for me. And it's some of the most valuable time that I have because I journal and I relax and I, and I take the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we only have about a minute left, so. Oh, right. <laughs> Speaking of time and schedule. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess another thing to, to remember is, is the gadgets. You know, they're all great. I'm not a Luddite. I love, I've got an iPhone and a MacBook and all that stuff. Great. But they all have a little red button that says off on it. And I think we want to be switching that and pushing it as much as possible, especially in the holiday season when, you know, we are cocooning, we are at home, and we're in that place where, you know, we don't have the boss breathing down our neck, and it is, it, it is a time to rediscover our own rhythms, our own connections, and our own tempos. And I think mm -hmm. to, to, to develop a, a balanced relationship with technology is one, one more step towards finding that inner tortoise that we all have inside that's yearning to get out <laughs> to play. Mm. I love that. I love that. And, you know, we can start today by saying at dinner time, whatever time your dinner time is with your family, we're going to sit down, we're going to eat dinner together, and from the time we sit down at the dinner table, we're going to, no more screens from that point forward. We'll bake cookies, we'll write out Christmas cards together, but, you know, whatever holiday you celebrate, make sure that you take the time this season to really, really appreciate it. In the nature of taking time, uh, we are going to be taking a hiatus with the Stop Raising Einstein show until after the new year. So if you want to stay connected with us, you can do that on Facebook at Stop Raising Einstein or at my personal page, which is Tara Kennedy Klein. Thank you so much, Carl, for being an awesome guest. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And join us next time on Stop Raising Einstein. Thanks for listening to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Make these Stop Raising Einstein principles your own. Love unconditionally, give freely, laugh openly, learn daily, grow immensely. And of course, listen to 